welcome to the most excellent 80s movies podcast. It's the podcast where a filmmaker, a comedian, and their ethical guests just saxophone solo their way through the 80s movies we think we love or might have missed with these our adult eyes. And today we are talking about The Lost Boys, a movie selection from 1987. They're about to discover its secret. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. Pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. from the quiet loud quiet trope uh that trailers sometimes do where it's like people whispering santa carla's a great town if you like weirdos or vampires and then good bluey there's a huge explosion sound um and (laughs) i've made your podcast too difficult to listen to um trailers love doing that or at least they did but um i think that they still do i'm chrissy lens comedian and host of for you today and with me is co-host filmmaker nathan blackwell good evening and or day it might be day Uh, although it's spooky season so we should we just assume it's always evening yes Okay. <laughs> For our one spooky episode. <laughs> and uh, with us is a favorite guest, friend of the 80s movies pod, uh, our favorite ethical uh, panda podcaster, Matthew Fox. Hello. Hey, welcome, everybody. I am uh, once again glad to be back revisiting my childhood. Yes, it was this a favorite for you. And what a horror it was. <laughs> so this is another one of the, first of all, like, you know, whoever inv- came up with the idea of vampires as an 80s hair band is just beautiful. Like, and I have a lot to say about that. But Joel Schumacher. Yeah, yep. And that's, this is one another one of those movies where I've had a real evolution because like I saw it in the theaters at 10 when like, I mean, we, we have to, we'll talk later about how this is the, the, the first union of the Corys. But to me, you had these like three badass teenagers who were hunting vampires and reading comic books and like talking back to their mother. And they just seemed like the coolest kids in the world. And then I got to be 14 and 15 and suddenly people were talking about this movie because apparently Kiefer Sutherland and some others were kind of attractive to most of the women wearing eyeliner and fishnets that I found attractive. Yeah. And all of a sudden I was like, wait, but they were the bad guys. I don't understand. And we got into a whole new understanding of the movie. And and that was not the thing that propelled me into goth and, and vampires and things like that, but it's a big part of it. 
And then I watched it again in my early 20s when I had, you know, come out to myself about being queer and, and was like, oh, this movie is really gay. Okay, that's that works too. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been, and then just watching it again uh, this morning to get ready for this, it was one more of those kind of like risky business moments that I've had with you all where I could be like, there's a lot of depth to this movie under the horrible acting and at times really <laughs> bad special effects. But like... Joel Schumacher really had some interesting ideas and I just, yeah. I'm really excited to talk about this movie because it's, it's, I've sort of seen all sides of it now. So we're ready. Uh, I love mm-hmm. it. Uh, what about for you, Nathan? I, for you, I like, I couldn't possibly guess if this was something you loved or something you <laughs> never saw. I don't know. I can't wait to hear the answer. Yeah, this was, I was like, of course I've seen the last boys. Like, of course I've seen the last boys. Okay. And I start the last boys is like, I have never th- seen this movie. <laughs> like, oh, wow. like, okay. I, at least, you know, I've probably caught sections. I pro- caught clips, but I have never to my, you know, surprise. I have never seen this movie all the way through. I've probably never seen like 90% of this movie. You wow. Know? But I you know, you know about the last boys because it's like it's like a cultural touch point, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it 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 is as advertised as good and bad as you thought, <laughs> you know. Um yeah, and I had a good time. It, yeah, it's um it's all of that and more. I watched it with the whole family last night to just to prove to my teenage uh children that we were doing sexy vampires long before Twilight. Mm-hmm. We right. invented sparkly blood. <laughs> um blood, I think. Blood. Our vampires had mullets and we liked it. We mm-hmm. liked it. They had the tightest they had, jeans. They had multiple earrings. So many frilly shirts and leather at the same time. I am, I I am, and was into it one hundred percent. Love the Corys. Love everything that we are going to really delve into. There's a lot to mine, as Matthew said. Like, there's a really um, oh so much for us to delve into. But for me, watching it as a kid, it was the perfect combination of like, okay. There is a very cute boy who's probably meant to be like, you know, the age I was when I was watching this, who's like safe and sensitive. And, uh, you know, then he's got this like and you could imagine like you have a relationship with him, like he's the person that you're like Mary suing yourself to. And then there's the troubled uh Oh, so pretty older brother who's just like, let me in, Sam. And you're like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And his and his friends who are just from the wrong side of the tracks because they're under the tracks and living on them upside down from the ceiling. There's just oh so much. So what uh, we get a lot of the theme song for this movie, which is like a. Thou shalt not kill, blah, blah, blah. It's throughout the entire thing. And we start with like a nice cold open of this like pier and the, you know, families that are there to enjoy. And then, of course, the youths who are Mm -hmm. making it an unsavory place to be. Uh, And we get a lot of. Kiefer Sutherland with his earrings and his leather being told you can't be here 
it is incorrect for you to walk the wrong way around the merry-go-round. <laughs> That's how you know they're bad, because they're walking on the merry-go-round in the direction opposite of where it's headed. Um, so they get kicked out, and then, of course, we see the um, security guard get swooped up from an aerial attack by an unknown monster. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Mm-hmm. Cut to a family road trip. So many what? 80s movies. Yes. So many 80s movies start with the family road tripping to a new town. Yes, yes. And they're always coming from Phoenix, it seems. That's where <laughs> we send people away from us. Uh-huh. I, I was going to say, um, if I was with Andy of the um, the Marvel Movie Minute podcast, I, uh, who's a, a dear friend of all of us, I would have to mock him because like, I think Phoenix today is not a city that you really want. And this is before the Sunbelt explosion. Mm-hmm. So to me, the idea that Phoenix is the city you want to go back to, like they're, they're, they're keeping the bar fairly low, which I mm-hmm. appreciate. Uh, I do want to just say also, because I was someone who spent a lot of time in goth clubs in the 90s, uh, that song Cry Little Sister by Jared uh, McMahon, I think is how you pronounced it, or McMahon. Uh, he did not have much of a career, but that was a like, if you went to a goth club anytime between like 93 and 2005, if you didn't hear that song sometime during the evening, it was a weird night. Like it yeah. was definitely one of the staples. <laughs> this of- night got weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cry Little Sister. Great song. Very oddly used in this movie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it's what I remember, though. It's so so what I remember. Like, when I see the poster, I hear the little children, Thou shalt not fall. I hear it Mm -hmm. in my head. Yeah, it's great. It's great. This movie is so stylish, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, Joel Schumacher brings a lot to this movie. Like, if you look at his filmography, there's some stuff that is just all over the map, but I, I feel like he brings a distinctive visual style, a distinctive fashion to be aware of the, the people who make it behind the scenes and how it influences. It changes how you intake the movie, you know, like you don't realize how super gay this movie is until you start knowing like who made it. And he is, there's maybe two women in the whole movie. Like he is not particularly like when we're talking about these rowdy youths, it's sexy young men. Oh, yes. <laughs> They're spending all their time together. And like one thing I noted that's really interesting is normally one of the tropes of the vampire movie is that the drinking blood is one of the most seductive things because it's mm-hmm. this like a neck kiss that turns into a bite that just turns into this ecstatic yes. thing. And there's none of that in this movie. Like, there said, is really isn't. I I feel like if it if if Joel Schumacher was making it today, that there would be. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was too sexual. There was a line of so much you could suggest yeah. back then. Um, but I thought I think it's also just because he's just not interested in women characters for the most part. And it's always sort of a, 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 a like I, I did a couple of podcasts on the bat on his Batman movies, which mm-hmm. I used to think were terrible Batman movies Good. because they are <laughs> because they're not Batman movies. They're gay camp parodies of Batman as which they're fabulous. Right. Yeah. But in those, he has very little interest in the women characters, just like in this one, like Star only exists to quite literally, and the vampires only care about her to quite literally be bait for the next hot young Mm -hmm. man they're going to bring into the group. And it's just like, there's so many different things here here, uh, to to tag on to, but just as we're saying kind of with the the overall stuff in the movie, I, I think what you're talking about, that style, that look, 
it's easy to forget how much influence this movie wound up having. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of folks have written great, great articles about how like Gen X was obsessed with vampires, the way millennials are obsessed with zombies. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm too old to know what the zoomers are obsessed with, but I think it's right. some, the new, the, the, the beast they can have sex with really. Chuds. Is the yeah. that Chuds. Uh, but whatever it is, like, and, and I was reading some, looking back and reading some great articles. Like, is this just me who thinks this, you know, when people look at like that, that goth vampire culture, the kind of things that people most credit it to is the Bram Stoker's Dracula movie, which is yeah. a very different kind of vampire, the Anne Rice novels, uh-huh. and this book and this movie. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's all like, and when I, the vampire, the masquerade role playing game, which was a huge part mm. of that goth sort of subculture that I was at least a part of in the in the late eighties and nineties, it's so it's all about gothic punk, which mm-hmm. I, I you know you go back and realize that had never existed. And this was the first movie that said, okay vampires can be super sexy like Bram Stoker and like old fashioned in English. But what if they're punks? What if they're badasses? What if they're eighties hair guys? What if we can have all of that all the time? <laughs> so uh, Vampires have always been sexy, but you know, it's like you think of like that was with like Bela Lugosi. He tapped into that, mm-hmm. but it had al- always kind of been there, but it was never like, you know, it was it was meant for adults, and then then kind of like became teenage lust, you know, yeah. as they became cooler, you know, and it was less about adults playing them, and right. and younger people using that as kind of like punk rebellion. I think too that this viewing was the first time that I ever realized how like on the nose calling it the lost boys really is tapping into that. We are never going to grow up thing of like teenagers and how this movie is sort of um, almost, are we afraid of teenagers? Is there a little bit of like, I definitely identified with more with the mom character this time being like, Oh, <laughs> you know, her boys are growing up and she's trying to have a life of her own. Um, mm-hmm. But there's that whole montage of the beginning of the people are strange when you're a stranger. And it's like just all these youths, it's the punks, it's the teens, it's the people of Santa Carla. Um, and it's like, Oh, they're strange. They're different than who we would meet in Phoenix. Oh, I wanted to say too, and I, 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 I'm going to finish my point, but put a pin in the idea of like Bella goes from Phoenix to Forks in Twilight. Is there anything to tie that into oh, these that guys yeah. going from Phoenix to Santa Carla? I, I also appreciate you pronouncing it properly as Santa Carla because the mayor of Santa Cruz didn't want his town depicted <laughs> where they filmed it. 100% yeah, 100% Santa Cruz, uh, <laughs> including like I went to grad school near Santa Cruz and, and like it really loves its its idea of like even for the California coast, we're the weirdos. And yeah. it was very much a yeah. center of like young punks and goths and like all that kind of stuff, as well as the aggressive surfers uh, mm-hmm. we'll get to. So, yeah, it, it is straight up Santa Cruz, just changing the letters a little bit. Yeah. It, you know, it's it's what's fun to think about is. Some of these movies that become so like identified in the places that they were filmed by the local people, like the people of Santa Cruz, they play, they do a big event where they play the Lost Boys, like on the wharf or wherever on the beach every year because they embrace it as something of their identity. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was uh, interesting to think about like Phoenix. It's like 
well, we got like Raising Arizona and we've got Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. You know, those are the movies that we identify with something that was filmed here. And there's screenings of the movie, you know, throughout the year at, at like certain events and things like that. But th- that's kind of fun to think about, like what what movies are embraced in, in what towns, mm-hmm. you know, in what cities do they kind of say this is, you know, because it was filmed here, we can we can see ourselves on the picture as part of our, our kind of local culture. Yeah. And I love that. I would totally claim it as my identity. So this family is moving away. And it's the story that we get at the beginning of, you know, The Karate Kid and, uh, you know, several other movies, you know, even Twilight, where the family has to move away from their old life and start a new life. Um, And they're moving in with the eccentric taxidermying grandpa. Who I who is such a fun character like he sort of is, you know, just an old curmudgeon who's set in his ways and, you know, is happy to have his family there, but shows it by bringing them taxidermy, Mm -hmm. leaving it on their bedsides. And, you know, neither of the brothers seem happy to be in this situation. But at the beginning, we really get a sense that the brothers have a bond and have like a really cute bond and they like sort of tease each other and like kind of laugh together at the grandpa and I really liked the relationship that we see in the very beginning between Diane Weist the mom Jason Patrick who plays our sexy Michael the main uh the main teenage sexy boy and uh Corey Haim who was our safe younger brother alternative who is the mm-hmm. most fashionable of of the family um but i really like that cozy moment we get where we get a picture of the family at the beginning mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's a lot we'll, we'll save this especially because towards the end but there's a lot of a family dynamics in this movie which is kind of funny because the 80s were very much like all the sitcoms were about, were about like nuclear families and stuff like that and this is about you know a divorced woman with her family which i noted especially that they don't like normally in order to talk about how like to make it okay to be a divorced woman who would like, you know, break up the nuclear family in the eighties, you had to make the ex-husband utterly horrible. They don't Mm -hmm. do this at all. She's like, I didn't want to fight with him. I broke up with him because he didn't believe that monsters were in the closet. Like it's a very clear, like he's not a horrible person, Mm -hmm. which to me, it was like, okay, so they're trying to do something interesting here about like showing like different ideas of what family can be. And, and, We'll get to more of that as the family goes on and we get into the Brady Bunch of it all. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like, yeah, like in the early 80s, you've got like mixed families and and um, complicated families. And then as it goes kind of like late 80s or you know early 90s, it starts to become kind of a lot more latchkey kids, yeah. you know, of like single moms and and like, you know, untraditional families like that, like the kids having to fend for themselves and they get to run around and do adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this one, the chosen family is a family of deadly vampires. Oh, no. It's so, kind of a little bit of a twist on that. But as we're exploring uh, Santa Carla and the central bit of it, which is the like pier and the boardwalk and the roller coasters. Um, everybody's exploring the, um, boys are watching a concert where there are both balloons and trash can fires. 
an odd combo, but you know, Santa <laughs> Santa Carla Cruz knows how to live, I guess. They're like, we want plastic inflatables for the kids, but trash can fires for the adults. And of course, famously, the concert is a very greasy, beefed up saxophone playing. Oh my singer. god, the, the oily saxophone player of legend. He <laughs> appears when called. <laughs> there, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a Saturday Night Live skit to where they have this character effectively played by John Hamm. So basically, like it's like a, someone gets cursed and and um throughout their life at certain moments. He busts in through the door, being oily and playing the saxophone, played by John Hamm, uh, until the curse is lifted. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and to me, that, that it, there's so much interesting in that choice. I mean, again, like, the man's wearing a cod piece over his very tight jeans. So, again, like, there's some themes happening here that 10-year-old <laughs> me missed when I first saw it. But also, like, so much of the, the trying, like, I mean... Music often defines generations, especially like in terms of punk, goth, stuff like that. And there's a lot of that music. Like the first song we talked about is very much kind of like in the Susie and the Banshees, goth style. There's this cover of um, People Are Strange by Echo and the Bunnymen, which which oddly they they don't use the Jim Morrison version, but they have a big picture of Jim Morrison in the sort of vampire (laughs) cave. It's like, sorry, Jim. It's expensive. Yeah. But like. In the 80s, like, there was that music, and then there was the music, like, your parents listened to, such as Huey Lewis and the News. And that's exactly what this, like, punk saxophone player, their band sounds like. It's the most incongruous <laughs> thing. Because, like, when I think of, like, I, lo- like I, love, I love good horn music, and, like, ska comes back. But in the 80s, that, that's a, it, that man has played in a Huey Lewis and the News cover band. Like, I, I would bet money on that, because it's just so, <laughs> it's just such a weird choice for music for that scene. Well, it's also a weird choice to have your lead singer also be your sax man because that you can't sing and sax at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it's such a fun little beginning for this. And then everybody sort of splits off into the direction that they're going to head during this movie, um, which takes place over a surprisingly short period of time uh, where Michael finds Star and is beguiled by her and wants to follow her. Sam finds a comic book shop where he meets his two new besties, the Frog Brothers, one of whom is Corey Feldman, the other of whom is not Corey Feldman. And the mom uh, meets the owner and proprietor of the local video store, which is the hippest, coolest, (laughs) clear vinyl in neon colors video store this town has ever seen. Uh, she meets Max, the proprietor, mm-hmm. and a potential uh, adult love interest. And Grandpa from Gilmore Girls. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, so we're off. Everybody has sort of picked the thing that will inspire them for the next crazy three days of activity in their new uh, town with their new lives. Um, I want to ask a question, which is... How old do you think these brothers are? Because I think there's an argument to say that Jason Patrick's character is supposed to be close to 17, 18. And so maybe Corey Haim's character is like 15, 16. But as I was watching, that's what I've always thought. But as I was watching this time, I was like, it seems more like Corey Haim is meant to be like 
12 because mm-hmm. he still wants to snuggle with mom. He still, they worry about leaving him on his own and he's still like, seems very much like a little boy, which would make me think maybe Jason Patrick is more like 15, 16. Uh, what are your thoughts, Matthew? So I actually did some digging on this because I just, I, I love getting into like doing the research with these kind of crazy things. The movie was originally written to be Goonies with vampires. Like Goonies had been a big hit and it was about <laughs> prepubescent boys who were enjoying, like, and that's like we talked before about mm-hmm. Lost Boys and how much it was an allusion to that. Part of the point with the Lost Boys is that they're all prepubescent. Like, and that that's part of why Wendy isn't a love interest. They want her to be the mother figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very, and which we're definitely. And then Joel Schumacher got involved. And apparently, Joel Schumacher <laughs> brought someone in to do a rewrite of the script, but they left in some lines from the original script, and that's why, like, yeah, he he wants to climb into bed with his mother. Why the mother's he has a ten o'clock bedtime. Mm-hmm. Um, he needs a babysitter. So yeah, I think that's part of why there's this kind of weird tension in the movie that at times it seems like they're all like. Like originally, I think they were all supposed to be eleven and twelve hunting mm-hmm. vampires, Goonies style. And then, and then, like, okay, but actually, like, adolescence is fun. Let's have some, and like, sexiness is interesting. And, and yeah, so that's kind of why there's some clash there. Especially in the moment where he's like taking a bubble bath and he's like, you know, making his hair into a mo- mohawk and be bopping around a la Kevin mm-hmm. McAllister, who, who is like 10. So I definitely was that what you're saying. Yeah, really we have, kind of, we've kind of, sp- they kind of split it off into two groups, you know, they kind of kept, Corey Haim and his frog buddies as like the Goonie kids. And then they got to do a bunch of, uh, you know, sexy, rebellious teenagers trying to. And I feel like ultimately like Lost Boys and seeing like the iconic like red poster, like, you know, like that, that feels original. That feels different than the Goonies, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's interesting. Like, first of all, I should comment that the Frog Brothers are named Edgar and Alan. Um, which I think is a clear like look hey we know about horror and it's like origins Mm. Um, and also I don't know how many of our listeners know what we mean when we say the two Corys because it's Corey Feldman is playing the the, the lead frog brother Corey Haim is playing the lead um, he's playing the younger brother and this is the first movie the two of them were together they go on to be teenage heartthrobs in their own movies but in a number of movies they're together they were very good friends and they wind up, unfortunately, being kind of this tragic story of what happens when, um, like, with young childhood stars, they both got into drugs. Uh, Corey Haim has passed away now. Corey Feldman is um, not having a great career either. Uh, I think he's actually, like, now, like, a born-again Christian or something. There, there's, But, yeah, but it's – it's for 80s movies, like, the two Corys, that was definitely a thing. And, and mm. this is the movie where it all got started. Yeah, I it was definitely a thing for me, and and I would go, uh, you know, seek out a movie like Dream a Little Dream, which is not arguably a great movie, uh, to just to see the two of them together, and um, I really loved both of them, and uh, seeing them together is great. And at this point, Corey Feldman was already so into drugs that he almost got fired from the movie <laughs> and he seems mm-hmm. my adult eyes see him as such a young like baby that I'm like you stop doing cocaine you baby um and like there were stories of them being like yeah you know there was sort of two cultures on the set of like Kiefer Sutherland and Jason Patrick and J.B. Gertz and all the teens who are like partying together 
and then the two little kids who would like go to the arcade and watch movies and it's like yeah but they were still doing their own piles of coke like innocence is is all an illusion um, you know, there, mm-hmm. there's a song from um crazy ex-girlfriend which is a wonderful show despite the horrible title but it's called i want to be a child star and it's very much about like i want to have all these terrible experiences but like Corey Feldman is so perfect for this role. You know, like Corey Haim is fine, but Corey Feldman is just, he just gives off such that, like, I know it all. I'm a teenager. I'm, I'm on the bad streets. I'm Van Helsing. I know how to kill vampires. And yet the other terror and clutching to his brother when the actual vampires show up. Like, he's, yeah. it's, it's a ridiculous part that I think would have looked, with a lot of teen actors, I think it would have just come off as very eye rolly, and yet I want like in the ridiculousness of this movie, I wind up really believing in his character. Mm-hmm. And I I really appreciated because you keep sort of waiting for the Frog Brothers to either be proven that they don't know what they really think they know, or that they're or that they're afraid, and they never are. In fact, when you think they're going to be afraid and bail. They're like, let's kill these two allies. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. let's kill our two friends while we can. <laughs> um, and they they really do know what they're talking about. Um, and so all in one night, uh, it seems, it may be a couple of nights, but he meets, he sees Star. He is lured by her. He uh, eats, you know, they go and have Chinese food, which I would love to see mm-hmm. the cutscene of the two, Alex Winter, and the uh, the other vampire boy being like, okay, we need uh, some white rice because he's definitely going to do that thing where he pretends it's maggots. Um, we, de- we need a noodle of some kind, but without a lot of vegetables in it because he's going to do that thing where it looks like worms. Um, and then, I don't know, what do you think? A Kung Pao? Should we, do we, get, a, should we get a shrimp and lobster sauce? What, like, have these people ever eaten Chinese food before? Because like, you don't just take a carton and give it to each person. One person just eats rice, one person eats noodles, <laughs> someone else is like, just eating General Tso's chicken. Like, that's not how Chinese food works. Yeah, they well, they definitely don't have plates in their very cool um, dilapidated hotel turned vampire uh, uh, Mm-hmm. lodge layer layer that's the word i was looking for um but they and it's that that bit which has survived the to the centuries which is you're enjoying your maggots michael you're eating maggots michael and they immediately want him to be one of them there's like a little bit of mm-hmm. tension at first and they're maybe gonna fight over star but then immediately they're like drink this weird wine Come hang upside down from a bridge with us. You're one of us. Immediately, they're like, you are one of us now. There's, yeah, there, there's no vetting for this process. There's no. very less like, yeah, you seem cool. You're cool. All right. You're one of us. Um, little do we know, we'll find out in the end that they're actively, you know, trying to recruit Michael, it seems. Um, right. But yeah, mm-hmm. it seems like this army of teenage vampires should be huge. But if they're just like you okay you passed the can you ride a bike test you're one of us (laughs) i mean he is very pretty in a way that i think Mm -hmm. that they're supposed to be quite drawn to and the way star is used in that scene is to me so telling because it's like she's the bait and like at first you might think Kiefer sutherland's character david like when he's like no no no, you gotta ride on my bike not michael's yet is pulling the like no she's my girl she's not yours but instead, you realize, no, it's just that he wants to kind of like just dangle her a little out of Michael's sight. Yet, you mm-hmm. know, it's like not quite mm-hmm. earned her. Um, mm-hmm. I, 
I really love Schumacher's ideas and, and a lot of his pictures. He just, just he does not write women very well. He no. Just, no, no. There's no interest in her as a character except just yeah. the kind of her being yeah, that. just her being just the wonderful Jamie Gertz, which I am there for. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but she's so she is warning him. She's telling him the whole time, don't drink it. That's blood. It's not really, it's just rice. It's not worms. It's just she's like, look, you don't want to be here, bro. It's there, they are vampires. She's all but saying, and she's like, I can't tell you, but please don't drink that wine. It's mm-hmm. blood. But then later he's like, it wasn't wine, was it? It was blood. And she's like, I did tell I did tell you I that. I did tell you that. I did tell you that. There's so many visuals of Jason Patrick like closing his eyes and like biting into his lip and like just glistening as he like looks away from something. That should be the poster for this movie because it happens so very often. And so he's like a half vampire. He's immediately a half vampire after jumping off of a bridge. He's sleepy all the time. He's grumpy to his mom. Uh, and <laughs> the next night, I think, he has to babysit um, his brother. And as soon as the sun goes down, he's like, should I eat my brother? Should I? Will I eat my brother? Uh, meanwhile, mom is like wanting to have a date with Max, the video store guy. And it, it seems like her story is the kids won't don't want her to move on and be happy by dating this video store guy. So that's her sort of narrative. But meanwhile, the kids have a lot going on. They're sort of being haunted by the vampire people. Michael sort of wants to eat Sam. Um <laughs> He can't drink milk, but like even in that moment of tension, their brotherly bond sort of wins out because uh, Jason Patrick is like, I'm still your brother. I accidentally sort of became a half vampire, but I I'm your brother. Please let me back in the house and help me instead of, uh, you know, don't stake me like the Frog Brothers suggest. I first want to just say, as someone who would, like, a lot of, you know, kids at that time spend a lot of time on the phone and every now and then, like, wander with the phone and accidentally pull the phone cord out of the wall, he's holding on, he's trying to fly away, and he's holding on, flying outside the window, holding on to a phone cord. Yeah. So something, (laughs) some person who installs phone cords there is, like, cementing them in. I'm not sure what's happening. (laughs) But yeah, it's a fun, and I think this is a very much the vampiric story of like when you start having these impulses that go against your 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 impulse and your your logic, you know, are are clashing with each other. And I like that so often. Again, it's the will you will you kiss your girlfriend or will you drink her blood? You know, and and that it's it's not. It's that it's it's again very much about the family. It's about the brother. You know that that he would want to drink kill his brother. Um. And and that is holding off because he loves him, and and they want to help each other. Like they're immediately like. At first, he's like, "You're a vampire, and I'm telling mom." Uh, <laughs> and it's like, mm-hmm. "Please don't tell mom. I'm only a half vampire. We can sort this out." And because he's met with the Frog Brothers and read the comic book, he understands that like 
because his reflection is at 50% uh, transparency, he's half a vampire and there's still time. He has until we learn later, he has until he makes his first kill that he then he'll be a real vampire. But he ends up sleeping on the ceiling accidentally again. Mom is really mad that these boys won't let her just be happy. And then all the information starts happening. Max comes to the house. He gets invited. He like very transparently is Mm -hmm. like, will you please invite me in? You're the man of the house. Please invite me. Uh, And the frog brothers and Sam try and do all of these like tricks to reveal uh they suspect that he's the head vampire. Well, with any any vampire movie, they've got to play a game of what r- vampire rules actually apply to these vampires because one of right. the things that that th- one of the differences between zombie movies and vampires is that in these movies everyone has heard of vampires beforehand. Like in, like in almost every zombie movie, it's like, what is this sort of thing? Is it a walker? Is it a shambler? Like they have to kind of like invent the experience from nothing. But in these uh, these other things like werewolves and vampires, there's so much in our mythology. Like they've got to they know what a vampire is. They know what a werewolf is. And they have to kind of play the field of what are, what what of the ridiculous menu of like vulnerabilities or rules for these vampires actually like you know are in this encounter but it doesn't make sense to me that because uh, so spoiler alert max is the head vampire they were right but none of their little tricks to catch him in the act of being a vampire work because they invited him in now how does that work with vampire biology (laughs) if holy water burns you when you're not invited into the house how does it not burn you when you are invited into the house? Yeah, see, I mean, that's when we get into the biology of vampires. We're kind of like, I, I actually really liked it because to me it was like, I often really like when movies are sort of like, yes, there is all this folklore and the mm-hmm. folklore is based in truth, but over telling and retelling and retelling, it's been mixed up, you know? And yeah. so in this, I, yes, I, like all that stuff works, but like, because vampires come into their houses without being invited, but right. it's if they're invited, then you're powerless against them. Yeah, I, I feel like if they have a the inviting rule, or and or b holy water, then it is straight up supernatural. Mm-hmm. That it is like good and evil, God and the devil. Because why would why is there a biological difference between holy water and normal water? You know, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then inviting someone in and not inviting someone in—that's definitely like something to do with a spell, you know. Versus oh, being out in the sunlight, I'm sensitive. It burns or whatever. I glitter, you know, <laughs> glimmer or whatever. Um, and uh, or you know, it's like this. You know, the the silver or the stake through the heart. Like a stake through the heart would kill normal people too. So you could do that. But like the reflection, I I'm gonna lump in there as well because that's supernatural. There's no reason for them to be invisible. If they just happen to be, you know, it's like some movies like I, in my mind, like Blade, that was more of a physical thing, you know, and then they would kind of like, you know, 
but uh, yeah, so there's like the any kind of vampire movie, you're figuring out the rules. Mm-hmm. So I feel I feel like this is clearly in the supernatural realm since they're dealing with the holy water and the permission. So there's a lot more of anything goes in terms of of difference between a normal vampire and a master vampire, you know, because the head then, vampire, yeah, right. Because then you're you're talking about like you know, sin and turning against God and Satan and, mm-hmm. and being a product of, of, of evil. And, and, you know, how, how do these things work? I, I will say as someone who was the pastor of a church for a long time, I, we, we were not Catholic. We didn't really have holy water, but we had, you know, a font of water that was used for sacred purposes, like baptisms and the like. And I did every now and then have these daydreams about like, you know, what if two teenagers ran into my church in the middle of a service and like filled up their canteens, you know, I'd, I'd probably go help them. <laughs> yeah. So that, that, and the fact that everyone in the church is just like, huh, okay, let's go back to normal. That's yeah, yeah, exactly. it, well, it's, it, it tracks for this town, you yeah. know. It does, it does. But yeah, you're right. And I, I think it's, it's fun the way they play with that. And I think that they're, you know, every vampire movie has to, they have to set the rules according to what the plot needs. And I, like, to me, it's one of the reasons why Twilight doesn't work. Cause I find that uh, I think the sparkling vampire thing just is ridiculous, but I mean, it's all ridiculous. I know, but it's, that's where I draw my line. But to me, the way they set it up with this half, half vampire thing, it allows for Michael and star to spend time together when all the other vampires are asleep. Mm-hmm. And it, it allows yeah. to have this idea of Michael in this sort of like, transitional state where he's moving towards the vampire but it's still possible for him and star and laddie laddie is the younger brother's name we're just moving on um to, to all be saved and i just love that yeah they can still be in sunlight they're in a transition they haven't they've been kind of like initiated but they haven't like committed the sin yet yeah. the sin of drinking blood and feasting you know and as soon as like the while the dinner party is happening at the house, the dinner party is happening with the hairband vampires who are like, all right, we're going to go eat these um, burnouts who are having a bonfire. Come on, we're going to eat them. And uh, they just tear this like group of teens apart. And they're like, well, you're one of us. The cat's out of the bag now. I guess you better eat someone. Yeah, it, it's kind of fun that we don't actually see their vampire forms until an hour into the movie. Like, they actually play the suspense. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we know what's going on. We're we're going into it knowing what's going on. But it's fun to play out the suspense and the mystery of it and wondering. I mean, we know they're going to be vampires. What does it look like when they're vampires? And and it, it's kind of fun that it that they kind of you know play the suspense and mystery of it what did you think of the vampire prosthetics i liked them i thought they were about as for for like you know like for uh uh, for movies back in the 80s this was considered minimal but this is as big as i would go like i'm not a fan of the really like ridgy foreheads that you kind of see in like buffy the vampire slayer or some of these other ones you know um I, I liked it and they were all a little different, you know, like each of them had a slightly different distortion on their faces. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, the the Joel Schumacher had to really kind of like draw them down, draw them down, make it more minimal. But to me, this is as 
big as I would imagine getting, you know? Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely like it. And it, it, it's so interesting because it's like so much of the movie is about the sexiness of these people. They're, they're the time that they are literal vampires is probably when they're their least sexy. Like, you know, I mean, yeah. there's certainly a monster love thing that happens to some extent. But as you said, it's not as extreme as Buffy, but it's that same, like, you take on this sort of ugly demeanor when you're about to attack as a vampire. And like, yeah, you know, that whole scene with the, the 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 rival gang in town because it's the people they're they're drinking the blood from on the beach it's the same group they were kind of like messing with uh on the merry-go-round at first and sort of they set up this mm. idea of these are the rival gangs um at the time a term that was often used for the people who'd hang out in surf towns and harass people and mug people and kind of make it clear that this was their beach and no one else could come in was surf nazis uh, they weren't like Nazi Nazis in any way, but that was the term that was used. Uh, there's a movie that comes out the same year called Surf Nazis Must Die, in which they are actual Nazis, which I would not recommend. You're, it, it is really bad. Um, <laughs> but, like, but yeah, and I, but I think that's also a little bit intentional is like they're attacking. They're not attack. They, they're not attacking innocent people like they attack the, the couple who are making out in a car, which by horror movie standards means mm-hmm. granted she's yeah. trying to push him away. So she's not quite as bad. But still, you know, they attack the cop who is not letting them have fun. Uh, a cab's not a thing where this movie is made. So the cop is like, you know, it's sad that he dies. Mm-hmm. But like we never see them like really attacking like by the laws of 80s movies, innocent people. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's people I think we would say, like, yeah, they shouldn't get killed. But like by right. the laws of 80s movies, all those people are somewhat right. OK. Getting killed. It's it's interesting yeah. because it's almost by rebellious teenager laws rather than like monster laws. Like a lot of right. these like 80s slasher monsters, it's like, oh, you've tried to have sex, then you shall be punished. These are like you kind of pissed off some teenagers and now you shall be punished. Right. You know, that's why I was saying, like, I think this movie is a little bit afraid of teenagers, um, uh, you know, for that point of view of like, oh, they're getting up to shenanigans out there. Mm-hmm. What if they were allowed to do whatever they wanted? Um, but I do think that Kiefer Sutherland, as Matthew pointed out at the beginning, doesn't seem like he's going to be, uh, you know, one of the more appealing figures in this movie. But he is. And even with his like, he has such a unique face. Um, and he definitely has like the cutest little puppy fat like on his mm-hmm. on himself during this movie. But he is so appealing because he is so intense. And as this like leader of this gang, you know, and always being like, Michael, you're one of us, Michael. Like he's he may not be as like beautiful as a Jason Patrick, but he's so appealing. Yeah. Uh and I was definitely, and he's so good at like doing this thing, even with all his prosthetics in them and out of them. He has this like actor move he does where he's like smiling or grimacing, and then it just goes into like a pouty frown that mm-hmm. was just so, <laughs> so impactful. Um, that I I loved Kiefer Sutherland's performance in this, yeah. and I think I think Kiefer Sutherland is the in this is the reason why I thought I loved the young guns. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. I can see that. But uh, looking, of course, looking back at young guns, I didn't love it. And um, looking back at this, I still do. Um, so the, everybody makes their plan. They're going to rescue star and Laddie. The frog brothers are going to join them and they're going to go since it's definitely not Max, who's the head vampire. They're going to go find them and stake them. Um, 
we learn that mullets look ridiculous hanging upside down. <laughs> Even more ridiculous than they look hanging uh, right I side up. Say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, their weakness. Their weakness. Can, can I just comment a little more about the, like the recruitment scene and the and the Please. of it all? First of all, I think it's interesting because it's like a lot of movies now do this, and I think of it as the like the Aragorn Legolas, where there's two male figures of beauty presented, one of whom is like very like soft, classically beautiful, almost feminine features, but not quite, but like more like the feminine side of, of male, uh, which you know, these things are big and broad, and that's totally great. Um, and then one who's a little bit more like the and that's the Legolas, and one who's a little bit more like the grizzled older but very beautiful, but in a different kind of way. And that's, that's the Aragorn. And I think that you very much have that with Kiefer Sutherland and, and Jason Patrick here. And yeah, it's that like, he's the boy. Jason Patrick is the boy you might want to rescue. Kiefer Sutherland is the man you might want to kind of follow along with. And what I also think is so interesting is the way that blood is used, because again, there's no one is drinking blood from, from anyone else, but blood is clearly being passed to him through this bottle in this kind of like antiseptic way. I think it's in part because in the 1980s, you just couldn't have a movie where the man drinking from another man's neck. Um, Mm -hmm. But the other part of it, I think, is that um, this is, and Joe Schumacher has talked about this, this is made in the late 80s when, you know, HIV AIDS is a huge concern for everybody. And the idea of any kind of sharing blood is very Mm -hmm. much, like, that's very much in people's minds when they're watching a movie like this at that time. And so I thought the way that they do it of the blood being kind of hidden, like it's not obvious you're having direct blood to blood, skin to skin contact, but it's through this bottle and you're told it's not blood, but it is, which is very, very interesting, like in that kind of context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, all, all great, great points. That's why we bring you here, Matthew. You got the good <laughs> stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's so it, cool how many different ways there are to look at this movie and still appreciate it um, because there's a layer two of like, and I, and this was brought up in like the articles and things that have been written since is like, is the Corey Haim character meant to seem a little queer? Like he's, you know, all of the cliche things from the 80s that we would possibly point our finger at and say like, okay, he's got a picture of Rob Lowe um, uh, being very sexy on the uh, outside of his closet and he is, um, <laughs> you know, the the cleanest, most fashionable, dapperest kid in this family. Is he meant to be a little bit queer? And would we then get the feeling that, like, the way that he's accepting his brother as being a half vampire and just being like, well, this is the reality we've got. Let's let's go mm-hmm. forward. You know, would his brother have that same <laughs> acceptance for him? And the mom mm-hmm. so badly wants to be friends with these boys. Yeah. Um, and she's, she, she's Diane so Weiss does so much with so little. Oh my but god, she does. She's she's fan, she's great in this. Uh, she's always great. In, in and anyways, I feel like this movie is an audition for the movie she later does. Uh, only two years later, Parenthood. Yes, where mm-hmm. a comedic movie, but a much more serious movie. But again, where she's the parent of a couple of teenagers, um, who she doesn't really know what to do with. One of whom is dating, uh, and I think his debut, Keanu Reeves, <laughs> where he first shows his like brilliant acting chops. This is sorry, this is a tangent of a tangent of a tangent, because he's very much playing Bill from Bill and or Ted from Bill and Ted. But then, as this one moment of like pure insight, 
and then shakes his head and is like, ah, whatever. <laughs> but like, <laughs> the connections between Diane Weiss's character in that movie and this movie are very strong. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I forgot this is Diane Weiss, but yeah, this is the role she's born for. Yeah, I love her so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything goes, everything fails, of course, and there's going to be a big showdown at Grandpa's house where uh, the Lost Boys are coming to get Michael, to get Star, to get Laddie. Um, and there's going to be a fight. The frog, but they, they do a whole home alone thing where they're like setting up the booby traps and getting ready for a vampire fight. Um, and the vampire fight is pretty satisfying. It's the grossest part of this whole movie. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It it definitely jumps a line at, at some point of like what your expectations when we get to like the toilet and all the plumbing just erupting in blood, especially because what starts it is holy water being squirted out of these little squirt guns. Like, mm-hmm. like they're just the ridiculous, like neon plastic water guns mm-hmm. that you give to six year olds. And yeah, it, it, that, that scene to me felt the most, like it didn't quite know what it wanted to do, you know, in terms of like, mm-hmm. some of it is like Goonies level of horror gore, but in a ridiculous way, some of it's supposed to try to be actually scary and like it works, but it's very all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It it is and it's gross. Um, but they <laughs> they dispatch of the two extra vampires really quickly. They've already killed Alex Winter, and so of course it's down to uh, the strongest of them all, Kiefer Sutherland, David, to fight against Michael because like Kiefer Sutherland is not falling for the idiot traps that the other two stumbled into it's clear that there's going to have to be a sexy vampire versus sexy half vampire showdown. Meanwhile, Laddie, the little boy is like vamped out and he's like, Oh, I want to bite somebody so bad. (laughs) And they're like, no, no vampire. (laughs) Spray, spray, spray. Also confirming the roles people have before he vamps out, they're fully ready for eight year old Laddie to be one of the people fighting the vampires while star the teenage girl who's three times his size and could probably actually be a decent fighter has to stay hidden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, but she's there to protect him. Like she has somehow like, yeah, she, she loves him and wants to, to protect him. And she's like, don't you, the frog brothers are like, we're going to stab you and we're going to stab you. And she's like, stop it. You two stop it. But while that's going on, uh, David and Michael have to have their big fight. And so they're just like up in the rafters of Grandpa's house, which has deadly anter- antlers on both sides of the ceiling. <laughs> and it's they decide to fight like, OK, I'm going to shove you at the antlers. Nope. My turn. I'm going to shove you at yeah, the there, antlers. There's a wall of antlers on each respective side <laughs> that they are tug- They're trying to push each other onto. They, but it, it, it's over pretty quickly. Like, uh, even though there's a nice, nice, there's a nice in air moment where Kiefer Sutherland is saying, "I don't want to kill you. You're one of us. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you love to just never get old and never die and hang out at the pier all the time? Why yeah. are we fighting? Even though we later learned that the, that the head vampire Max w- requested them to kind of get, uh, you know, for them to be turned into the family, you know, Kiefer is genuine with with his offer. Like he's not 
just the mustache twirling villain. He genuinely wants him to be with them, you know? Yeah. I mean, one thing I heard was another way that it's kind of like playing with vampire lore is that in most vampire stories, there's this feeling of regret of like, I don't want to make you a vampire because Mm -hmm. I have to live eternally and I can never walk in the sunlight and I can, you know, I want you to be with me maybe, but like it's a tragic, sad life. There's none of that here. They're just teenagers who don't have to worry about going to college. They don't have to worry about laundry. They don't have to worry about getting a job. They just get to be teenagers for eternity. And like, that's such a, the the fact that Kiefer like genuinely believes, he's like, why wouldn't you want this? This is great. And, And I think what makes the movie so fun is, the movie's kind of saying that as well. Like it, it's, <laughs> it has to have the, the evil defeated, but it definitely does. It presents them as like, yeah, maybe they kind of have the right idea on yeah. some terrible level. And they are lost. Like you, you get the sense that this town is, is like full of kids who were lost or abandoned. And it's like, they're finding their, their, you know, like we said, their chosen family is full of murderers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then once we reveal, uh, that Max truly is the head vampire. He wants Diane Weist and he wants them all to be a family. It seems like he's going to win. Right? And that moment was to me, like, that was the movie where everything they're doing in this movie with families clicks into place. Because someone makes a joke about the Brady Bunch and actually, that's exactly what he is. Want what Max wants. He wants like he, the father who has a couple of kids and the mother who has a couple of kids to become a merged family, but but no daughters because there's women don't really matter in this world except as mothers. <laughs> um, you know, Star being mothering towards Laddie, and he like there's a lot of these things that you see that just sort of marks him as like very much the patriarchal guy who wants the 1950s life. You know, he, yeah. <clears throat> you know, I always think that kids need a, need discipline from a strong mother, he says, and the way he treats her and stuff like that. And it was just such a like, okay, this is really kind of, yeah, playing with the idea of maybe the nuclear family, mom, dad, and a bunch of kids, isn't that great? And maybe like the weird old grandpa and the divorced mother can actually be the better kind of family. Yeah. Uh, which is the button on this movie is that uh, just when we think all is lost and Diane Weist is going to choose to have her family live as vampires than die in a mortal life. Kablooey, grandpa <laughs> comes crashing through in his Jeep and the stakes, his fence that he's making out of sharpened wooden phone poles <laughs> come uh-huh. flying in and save the day. And everyone's like, oh, oh my God, that's over. Oh, Michael's back to normal. Laddie is not trying to eat anyone anymore. Uh, the day is saved. And Grandpa just shumble, shambles off to the fridge, opens his root beer and says, that's one thing I never could stomach about Santa Carla. All the damn vampires. And we're out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really enjoyed this rewatch. And I, I totally see why this is a cult movie that's get played everywhere every Halloween. And of course, in Santa cruise all the time uh but on a scale of one uh individual serving of rice slash maggots to (laughs) 10 individual servings of rice slash maggots 10 being the best uh what do you give 
the Lost Boys Matthew? I, I, it's one of those movies that I feel like is very hard to put on a, on that kind of a scale because mm-hmm. when I'm in the mood to watch it, it's perfect. It, it is a 10 out of 10 of being a so bad it's good, ridiculous cult vampire movie. But it's not. A, it's not a very good. Like it, it's a brilliant movie. It's a movie that really had a huge amount of influence, and that's a lot of fun. But is it a good movie? That's the yeah, question. So yeah. I think like I, you, you know what it is. It's the bad Chinese food of movies. Like yeah, mm-hmm. there's always yeah. in your neighborhood that one place that just makes eight different kinds of breaded fried chicken and different sauces. And there's always three times as much breading as chicken. Mm-hmm. And the sauce is just pure MSG and it's horrible for you. And it's not good food, but when you're craving it, and I don't even mean like, I don't smoke pot, but that's another, like just when you're craving that it's exactly, you know, this is the Taco Bell of movies. This is ah. the like <laughs> the bad craving of movies. So yeah, I think, I like the Chinese food to, reference. Yeah, on that a works. scale of it's one like... to ten, I have to give it like a five, maybe a six. Okay. But it's just such an important movie in terms of impact. And when you're in the mood for it, it is exactly what you want. Um, that's the full quote. This is the Taco Bell of movies. So did you <laughs> do you land on a on a six? I think I'll put no. a six, yeah. Okay. And what about for you, Nathan? So I'm gonna so I I I agree with many of the things that that Matthew said. Um I think I'm gonna end up on a seven. Mm-hmm. I feel like in the in the six zones, um there's a lot more disappointment. This is definitely fun, but in terms of of you know, um you know, it's it, it's not a it's it's tough. It's so hard to word something that is a good time, but is objectively not necessarily great. You know, mm-hmm. it's but it is it is a fun good time, especially if you're in the fall, especially if if you're in October. Like this, you know, like if we had watched this maybe in the middle of summer, which I mean, here in Phoenix, it's still like ninety nine degrees. So I mean, whatever. But um. It you know it, it probably I probably would have rated it lower, but I'm in the mood for, for yeah. Halloween. Yeah. So 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 uh, the Lost Boy squeaks out to a seven. I love it. Um, I you know when I am considering what makes these movies um still high in that category, it's also like the rewatchability with other people who haven't seen it or yeah. you know and, and i take into consideration a lot how my kids would view it and so having watched this with both of them they both really liked it even if you know the 16 year old liked sort of teasing it the 12 year old mm-hmm. was like he got jump scared and he was like <laughs> really in it and like they both really loved it so um, I completely agree with everything that you guys have brought to the table, but I, I'm going to go one higher and say I would give it an eight. That's wow. That's I fair. really like, that, like it. To me, it's fun. more like that's it, fun. it's that kind of like on a trash cinema scale or fun cinema scale. Yeah, it's an eight on a like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. art movie. Uh, the other thing I, I'm interested in what you said about your kids liking it, because I, I, I know nothing about your parenting sk- style, but like I imagine your kids have had some introduction to other 80s movies, given your particular yes, love of them. It's true. I, it is so 
a, to me, it's like if you put a historical capsule of like important movies that define the 80s, this has to be in it along with like, you know, mm-hmm. Top Gun. Oh, there's a mullet inside and, here. And 16 Candles and stuff like that. Um, and I do like I'm very curious what like a 25 year old who doesn't really understand, like know all the 80s references, what they would think of it, because I mm-hmm. I hope it would be a cult classic. And it sounds like it might be. It also might be that no one who wasn't born in the 70s or the 80s is going to have any idea what this movie is unless their parents love that stuff, too. So I'm just very curious. And we did like um, we did watch during the uh, quarantine of the pandemic all the Twilight movies. We hate watched all the Twilight movies. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they all have opinions about vampires (laughs) and and teenage vampires on top of all of it. so it's deep cut recommendation time. Uh, mm. w- if everybody knows, if you like the Lost Boys, you'll probably like blank, blank, blank. Um, but what would you recommend to people? Slightly off the beaten path. It's not going to be what Amazon recommends you watch next. Um, could be a Vampire Connection. Could be a Corey Heldman. Corey, Corey Heldman. That's what I. <laughs> <laughs> Corey Heyman. Corey Feldman. Yeah. yeah together um what do you think nathan so mine is not going to be deep mine is going to be terribly not deep okay um, and that's what we do in the shadows you um, took mine here let's let's say ours together okay <laughs> okay so you can pile on it and and uh, and talk about it too there's a couple of references that like what we do in the shadows like bases is vampires on i feel like firmly one of its sources of like what are the powers of vampires falls within the domain of the lost boys Mm -hmm. (laughs) like nakedly so like one of the vampire literally does and i think it's specifically meant to be that he's seen the movie and he's now doing the tricks but it's like oh do you like your biscotti Oh, look at your biscotti real closely. Oh, is your biscotti worms now? Like, they full-on do the trick. And it's like, oh, I guess that's from Lost Boys, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Perfection. That's my Do You Cut recommendation, too, both the movie and the series. Um, The series is in its fourth season now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I still find it delightful. Uh, uh, There's a really lovely moment towards the end of this most recent season, which I won't spoil for you, but it's worth watching. Um, it's yeah. So, at his best. He, I think he oh. writes and directs that show. He's so good. Yeah. He is so good. And it's a, it's fun vampires. I like fun vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's so funny because one of the keystones, uh, keystones, one of the key like ingredients of what we do in the shadows is that Guillermo wants so badly to be a vampire and isn't allowed to be. Whereas the lost boys vampires will literally make anyone a vampire so easily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what about you, Matthew? What's your deep cut recommendation? So I'm, I'm trying to think of, there's a couple of things that come to mind. <clears throat> First of all, just the ones that I've recommended that I've already talked about. Like, I think watching Goonies will give you a good idea of like, the, the ground this movie grew out of and watching Bram Stoker's Dracula will also give you a good idea of like the other side of the vampire mythos and like how those two movies really defined, I think the 1990s and, and goth culture and all that. Um, and parenthood, which I've mentioned, like it, it, it's for the Diane Weist side of it and just seeing her in it as a very different role. But I think the one that I'm going to mention, that I haven't mentioned before as a deep cut is the crow. Because the crow to me is like, this is very goth. This movie is very punk more than anything. Like there's no black fish in it or anything like that. But it is 
this movie is also where I think like punk starts to become goth in terms of like the vampires and living at night nocturnal. And the crow is probably to me, one of the, another one of the most definitional movies of like early nineties, mid nineties goth, you know, like if yeah, you sure. were hung, if you were hanging out with a bunch of people all dressed in black and wearing black converse in the mid nineties and someone quoted the crow and you didn't get it, like, Lots of eyebrows went up. You know, what are you doing here? Uh, I'm not saying gatekeeping was good, but like uh-huh. it's if you want to, I, I'm fascinated by the way cultures evolve out of movies. And like, I think if you're interested in sort of like seeing that progression, I don't think the crow gets made without this movie. And like the mm. crow is very different. It's much more goth. It's much more martial arts, but it's, it's, it's building on the goth world. And I think in many ways, it's kind of a successor to Lost Boys. So that's what I'd recommend. Yes. Um, uh, so speaking of uh, finding your podcast, where can people do that and listen to all of your fabulousness? Yeah. So thank you. Uh, as I mentioned, I do a couple of podcasts. Uh, you can find them all under The Ethical Panda. TheEthicalPanda.com is the website. Uh, the two main ones I do are Superhero Ethics, where we just get into like all kinds of like ethical questions and interesting debates from superhero movies, geek movies. We've kind of made it pretty broad. We did a couple of things on... Um, uh, we recently did, uh, we've done Cobra Kai for a while because martial arts in, in TV is sort of a superpower. And we did Rounders, uh, which is because po- poker is a superpower. Um, we've had a lot of fun with a lot of great movies. Um, there's a lot of interesting discussion. Uh, I think both of you have been guests at various times to talk about different things there. And then the Star Wars Universe podcast, um, it, that is pretty exclusively to Star Wars. Um, and we've done a lot of great things there. Right now we're doing episode by episode coverage of Andor. If you're kind of watching that show and want to follow up, or if you're going to watch it later, you know, you're going to binge watch it later, which I think is my partner's going to do that, which gives me a chance to rewatch it, you know, come back to our episodes. Uh, we'll be very, we're, in, we're recording right after a new episode comes out. So there's never any spoilers about what's to come next or something like that. But there we've cool. also done coverage of all the other shows beforehand. We're in the middle of doing uh, episode by episode of Star Wars Rebels, which will continue on after the show is done. Uh, Star Wars just keeps, we, we were like, let's do all the old content. They keep giving us new content. It's very frustrating, but uh, really good. So that's a really fun one. Uh, highly recommend all around. And uh, Nathan, where can people find and support your filmmaking endeavors? Uh, probably the easiest place is squishystudios.com. Um, also, our um, the feature film is wrapping up post-production that we're working on. We're starting to submit it uh, to film festivals. That's the last movie ever made. Um, which you can also find uh, Last Movie Ever Made on Facebook and Instagram. I think we're under Last Movie Ever uh, for uh, Twitter. Not that I tweet that much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. And, uh, you know, please uh, follow, like, rate, review the most excellent 80s movies podcast. Um, You can hear me additionally on the Saturday Matinee podcast and uh, sometimes as a guest on the film board on True Story FM. Um, Be sure to follow, star, like, rate, review, high five, uh, and hang upside down with your mullet uh, (laughs) to appreciate all of those things. And of course, while you're out there in the world, uh, do keep the most excellent 80s movies podcast motto in mind. Be excellent to each other. And party Party on, on, dudes. Yeah, excellent. That was a great one, you guys. Boy, I really, I really feel like we nailed it all. That was such a, a <laughs> it good It was bound episode. to happen eventually. 